Good morning. Good to see you this morning. As we begin our time of worship this morning, would you direct your thoughts and attention to the word of the Lord from Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Let's do that this morning. Let's worship Him. Christ has conquered death and the grave. We have something to celebrate this morning. Let's sing. There were walls between us. By the cross you came and broke them down. You broke them down. There were chains around us. By your grace we are no longer bound. No longer bound. Your love is greater, 
Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. If you're happy to be here this morning, would you just say amen? amen. It's great to see you. I tell you, fall is finally in the air. Aren't you glad? We've been doing 86 and 90, and man, last night just felt incredible. Um, so praise the Lord for those small blessings, right? Uh, let's be praying for our youth as they return today from Snowbird. There's a, almost 80, I think, up there this week. And so if it looks a little thin today, uh, that's because a lot of them are uh, on that trip and headed back this afternoon. So let's pray that they have safety. I know they've had a great time. I was a little jealous that I didn't get to go. But anyway, I'll get over it. I'll be all right. Anyway, we want to welcome you today. If you're a guest of ours, please find one of the care cards. Uh, it's located there in the pew rack in front of you. We want to at least send you something from Pitts Baptist, and thank you for visiting with us in worship today. So take a moment to do that. And then on the back of the care card, uh, for everyone, is an opportunity to fill in prayer requests. Uh, we as a staff want to be praying for you. Uh, please fill that in. As you leave today, all those cards can be placed in the, uh, the boxes on the round table, and we'll get those and make sure they get to the right people to be praying for you. So please do that today. Uh, and again, we want to welcome you uh, to our services this morning. Uh, Missions in Action Sunday is next Sunday, right here in the sanctuary at 1015. Bill Little, who's the pastor of Journey Church in Wasilla, Alaska, uh, will be with us in worship. He's going to have to get up early to get here uh, next Sunday. So you be here. Uh, testimonies from recent mission trips will be happening. You'll see pictures from those trips. And then we're going to be taking up a special harvest missions offering to support our own missionaries out of our church that we send on these different trips. We help subsidize with those funds. It really allows for a lot more of you to be going on missions, which is something we, we are loving seeing. We had a lot more people this year, I think, involved in going on mission trips than I've ever remembered. So we want to continue that. So be, pray, be praying about an offering that would help uh, with that next Sunday. And then don't forget about uh, Operation Christmas Child Collection Week. That is November 15th through the 22nd. Uh, the sign-up sheets are in the lobby of, uh, of the worship center here, and we want you to be involved in international missions right here from Pitts Baptist. A lot of slots back there to fill in to help with that. So please go by the, uh, the table. I know Ms. Shannon will be there to answer any questions you have. And then uh, Trunk or Treat is Wednesday, October the 27th. It's a little different this year than our regular fall festival. We're asking community groups to de decorate a car or two. Uh, and we are getting a lot of interest on social media. Amy's been sharing with us. There's a lot of people contacting and showing interest in this. We got to make sure we got a lot of candy. And so I, we're starting to see those bins overflow. But please don't, don't stop. We need it. And we'll have it here in buckets to hand out. Uh, and I don't eat any of it. I don't get any of it. So anyway, that's a lie. But anyway... Um, keep bringing candy. Um, so anyway, we need a bunch of that this year. We want to go to the Lord at this time, to the Lord in prayer. So I want to ask you to do me a favor. If you would take just a moment to pray silently where you're seated, if you would bow with me, and then I'll open up uh, with us out loud. Let's prepare our hearts for worship this morning. God, thank you so much for all you do for us, even to talk about uh, the seasons, to feel the fall in the air, is just a reminder, God, that you are in control. 
God, you control the seasons. You control the turning uh, of this earth. And God, we need to praise you and honor you. And even creation does that in the changing of the seasons. So thank you, God, for just that little reminder. God, we do pray for our group that is away from us this morning, that you would give them safety as they travel back. God, we pray that their hearts have been refreshed, that decisions have been made. Even people who don't know Jesus, maybe this weekend at Snowbird, they prayed to make that decision to become your child. And we pray for those decisions, God. We pray for this service. God, that we would lift before you our needs. I know prayers have already gone up just a moment ago of things that are uh, in our lives that may be troubling to us, things we're struggling with, maybe even praises, that uh, things that you have done for us, God. We just lift those before you and ask that you give us wisdom, God, to know what to do in each of those. For this service, as Jonathan leads in music, that we would sing these songs to your face, God. It would not be about singing to an, uh, this audience that's here, but to the audience of one and singing them to you, God, that you would be pleased with what we say and sing for the message that you have given to our pastor this morning. God, speak through his mouth. God, challenge our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we as men can only speak to what you give us, but God, the Holy Spirit can speak to hearts, and we pray for that this morning. God, just give us a great time as we corporately worship together, be with the needs in our congregation. And we ask this, and all of God's people said,
you stand with me as we sing this classic hymn together? Raise your voice to the God of the ages. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy, who through life has been my God? Heavenly peace, divine is comfort, here by faith. Christ is enough for 
Good morning. It's good to be back with you folks today. Uh, of course, gone last week for our youngest grandson's first birthday party last weekend. And uh, telling the oldest grandson, uh, Sutton, he's three, how long our trip was going to be the next day. That uh, when he got up about seven that morning, went to bed about eight that night. CC and Papa would just be getting home. And he said, We need to send you UPS. <laughs> He's fascinated with UPS trucks. But anyway, we had a great visit with them. And what an awesome job that Josh did last week, uh, well beyond his years. So thankful for what God is doing and the young people in our church. Of course, we have a couple of young people on dangerous fields around the world through the IMB, uh, serving in places that we're not even allowed to publish. And I think of uh, Brandon and uh, Brandon Brooks and Katie Clory's both. And so continue to pray for them. And then uh, Josh and others who are looking at a life of ministry. And then Kevin Knight said this weekend, the group he has at Snowbird is the largest group he has ever taken there. And so as Kevin mentioned, Kevin Seeger, they're gone this morning. We feel their absence 
And also a ladies group, a sizable ladies group is at the beach this weekend. So I need my amen corners this morning. Where are you? So a lot, lot are gone. So amen, brother. Uh, there are a couple of families in the church I want you to be mindful of. Uh, Dorothy Masters, a resident at Taylor Glen, who was uh, here in our senior group. She passed away. And the funeral will be this coming Tuesday morning at 11 here at Pitts. It will be a graveside only in the church cemetery. Uh, so pray for uh, Dorothy's uh, son and her daughter. Of course, many of you remember George, her husband, who passed away. They were here back in 2012, and he died. And so pray for the, the master's children. Also, I see Frank DeFries over to my, my left, your right. His father has passed away, so pray for these uh, families. Uh, I do need to make you aware, and you will not understand this unless you've been in ministry going to new places. I do need to make you aware, though, that we will not be presenting Luis tonight. Uh, he had interviewed with the personnel committee and the Hispanic work. They were excited about him coming on board and uh, he also had a full-time offer with benefits from the Billy Graham organization to come on board with them. And uh, we understand that. As he, he notified us, we were not aware of that other offer. He notified us. We ready to present him two different times. Uh, first time he was sick, of course, and we delayed. And uh, then... Uh, when he was to be presented tonight, he notified us and said he had taken that other position. A shock to those like Sergio and Edna in the Hispanic ministry. We did not see it coming. But again, if you've been in ministry before, you certainly know how that happens. It's more frequent than you may realize. In fact, I'm grateful that it's happened here at Pitts because otherwise I would not be your pastor uh, there was a pastor from South Carolina that was being presented before me. The weekend was set. The church was excited. He was coming that weekend. He called, said he did not have a piece about it. They went back to the drawing board. He called them back in a week or two later and said he messed up by not being presented. Could he be presented again? The committee here presented him again, got down to that weekend once again, and he called and said, no, I can't come. So uh, anyway... Uh, I'm glad that happened in this case. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so amen. There's my amen corner. But uh, if you will, uh, the, the business committee reports, writ reports this time, they are on the tables for you to pick up today uh, on your way out. But we will not be having that conference tonight as we had hoped. And pray for the Hispanic ministry as and the staff as we begin to search for the person for God to lead them. They're excited. They're growing again after a year of COVID uh, really impacted them negatively and seeing new people come into that ministry and they're excited about us getting them a laborer for the harvest field there that's white unto harvest. If you take your Bibles and stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word, I'll be in James chapter 2 this morning James chapter 2 and I'll be reading this morning from the Christian Standard Bible the CSB 
Many of you may have that translation. I love the way this passage reads uh, in the CSB. Uh, Looking this morning at the subject matter, imitation Christianity. James writes, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, cut up the lights, and be well fed, (laughs) but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works? in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. God, this is your word. Holy, inspired, inerrant. And it is to give direction in our lives and be our anchor in the plumb line that governs all of our behavior. And Father, I pray that we would understand this morning what James is telling us about the reality of faith that is to be seen in each of us who name the name of Christ. Hide me behind the cross. May we see Jesus. May he be high and lifted up that we would be drawn to him today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Chuck Swindoll tells the story of driving through the town they lived in at the time with Their small children in the back seat. He was alone, his wife was not with him, and they were driving through the town. And the kids started singing Sunday school songs that they had learned and and getting their father involved in those songs. Now this was before the day of seat belts, and so the kids were laying down in the floorboard and stretched out across the back seat. And they started singing at the top of their lungs, If you're saved and you know it, say amen. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. 
And he said before it was said and done, they got him to chime in. When they got to the last verse that says, do all three, they had stopped at a red light. And the windows were rolled down and he was shouting. They were all shouting that verse out at the top of their lungs. And they were going through all the motions, waving their, their arms and clapping their hands and stomping their feet. And Dr. Swindoll said he looked over at a car next to him and there was a sophisticated couple in that car looking over at him like he was nuts. You see, as I said, the kids were laying down. The kids couldn't be seen. When the light turned green, he said he had this big desire to hit the gas and chase that couple down and pull them over and say, there's really kids in the back seat, I promise you. Here they are, you see. But then he decided, ah, it's no big deal. They kept driving and singing the song again. They got to the verse, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. And he stopped. They kept singing but he stopped and he took a quick inventory of his life and a gut check and he offered a prayer he said Lord does my life really show it he said he started reviewing everything in his mind that his life was about he went on to write you know faith is a lot like calories you can't see calories, but you can certainly see the result. And looking at some of you this morning, I can see the result. <laughs> you know, everything in the book of James seems to be pointing forward to this passage right here. This passage is the heart and the core of the entire book. James 1 told us to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. James has mentioned that true faith will persevere through trials. It will obey the word of God. It will practice pure and undefiled religion. It will show impartiality. It will control the tongue. It will put God first in all of one's planning and it hates pride and worldliness. In other words, true faith will shape someone's life. It will change their life and transform them. The very nature of the new birth is that it changes us on the inside so that our faith is seen on the outside. By its very nature, true faith produces works of righteousness. Now it's true, works of righteousness will be evident in people's lives in varying degrees based upon their maturity of faith. But nonetheless, those works of righteousness will be seen in some portion. Just as a rose bush produces rose blooms and a dogwood produces dogwood blooms, true faith will produce righteousness. Jesus said to his disciples, you will know them by their fruits. John the Baptist had once confronted the Pharisees. When John was baptizing and the Pharisees came out to spy on him and see what he was doing, he asked them, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Go and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And when they relied on their heritage and their bloodline, he went on to say, don't say that we have Abraham as our father because I tell you, God is even able to raise up from these very stones children for Abraham. And Jesus' point, uh, James' point here is the same. That if you have the real thing, fruit will be the evidence of it. If fruit, if good works, if righteousness is not the evidence of it, then it's very likely you don't have the real thing. And so the whole entire book of James is summed up in this one passage. And it points out that neither faith nor work is worth anything without the other. Now let me set the context. In the passage we've read this morning, James is dealing with a situation in the church in which persons professed faith with their lips but did not think it required anything of them. They felt like apparently there was no life transformation that was needed. And what James is doing here is he's practicing the literary device known as diatribe. In diatribe, you set up a straw man. And the straw man signifies or embodies all of the arguments that you are attacking. And supposedly the straw man even represents some in your audience who are feeling that way. And by taking on the straw man and dismantling him, you are dismantling your opponents. It was a rhetorical device. And that's what James is doing here. And he's showing that if we profess to know Christ, there's got to be evidence in our lives to back up the claim. And folks, let me say there is no conflict here with the Apostle Paul as some in the past have supposed. You and I need to see that James and Paul are addressing two entirely different audiences. Paul addresses those who try to say that good works can be the basis of salvation. And Paul points out that no one is justified on that basis. No one is justified on the basis of good works or the law. A man is only justified through faith in Christ. James, on the other hand, is addressing those who say they have faith, but this faith they claim seems to have no impact whatsoever on the way they live. And so Paul is addressing the root of our salvation. James is addressing the fruit of our salvation. We know that good works can never be the root of our salvation, but they had better be the fruit of our salvation if our salvation is real. You know, I think this passage here is a good gut check for the church during COVID. Just about everybody in some way or another is commenting on, I mean, I hear this all the time, what people are reading and seeing and experiencing out in the world, how people are acting so ugly and divisive and things they're saying and sadly how sometimes even professing Christians are getting involved in that. You know, it's one thing if lost people act like lost people. 
But it's a different matter if professing Christians act like lost people. And also there's a lot in this passage too that shows us that ministry cannot be stopped. Now I hope you'll take notes. And this morning the first of all, first point I want you to see is the futility of faith that has no fruit. The futility of a faith that has no fruit. There are four statements in these verses that describe for us the futility of faith without fruit. And I want you to look at the first statement there in verse 14 that points out that faith without fruit does not save. James begins asking here, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? And once again, I want to go, go back and clarify what I just said earlier about James and Paul. We are saved by grace through faith. Paul in Ephesians 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. And so again, I want to emphasize James and Paul are not contradicting one another. They are dealing with two entirely separate issues and audiences. James is simply pointing out if you're genuinely saved, your life will demonstrate it. Now, if you're reading the King James Version, the way verse 14 of James 2 is translated has helped probably to bring about some of the confusion. Now, folks, just about everybody, including myself, loves the eloquence of the King James Version. Whatever English translation you use, it would also be a good idea to own a copy of the King James Version because of the impact that that version has had on the English literary world and on the church in past decades and centuries. I honestly don't believe it is as good as some of the modern translations that we have, the manuscript families behind it and so forth. I've never been a King James only person. I love the King James, but I've never been one of these KJV only persons. And, and there's a lot out there, and God bless them. And again, for the ease of memory and the cadence of the verses, you can't hardly beat the King James Version for memorizing Bible verses. But for some reason, the King James Version translators chose not to translate the article in front of faith that is, that is here in verse 14. The King James Version says, can faith save him? And of course, James is anticipating a negative answer. And so it's caused confusion. What? James is implying faith can't save. I thought the Bible says it does save. But again, the article was left out. It should read, can that faith or such faith or a faith of that nature save him? In other words, can that faith that is only empty words, can that kind of faith save a person? 
And the obvious answer is no. Faith that is fruitless cannot save. It cannot take you to heaven any more than your good works without faith can. Faith without works is useless. And you know, we can turn it around too, can't we? We can also say works without faith are useless. Great humanitarian works are done all the time around the world today, but those alone, while being very commendable, do not in and of themselves save. And that's why here your pastoral staff has pointed out when we go on mission trips, it's wonderful to do great benevolent deeds for the community that we're going to serve. But for it to be a truly Christian trip, we also need to get around to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not one or the other, it's both and. And James is saying exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew 7. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles are they. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And so James is saying the identical thing that the Lord Jesus said. A second point about this I want you to see. Faith without fruit does not truly help. Look at verses 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? To point out how suspicious such faith is, James illustrates by pointing out that it doesn't even serve down-to-earth human needs right now. And James gives this illustration of a brother or sister in need. And Now folks, that was a very common occurrence in the early church, to be in need. Because you see, back then when somebody became a Christian, oftentimes they would pay with a very heavy price. The community might ostracize them. Your Jewish family might disown you. If you are a business owner, your customers may not deal with you any longer. And we know sometimes the early Christians were even put in prison and they were even killed because of their faith in Christ. And so when people today complain about the culture being so much against the church, we need to realize that for the first two or three hundred years of the church, this is what the early Christians faced. And yet what's amazing is how much God used them and how much they influenced their culture. Now added to the issues of persecution, we need to also understand how in general people back then made a living. The masses made, living, made a living by being day laborers. That's how the economy was designed. 
And those day laborers, many of them lived a hand-to-mouth existence. You would labor for a landowner all day and get paid at the end of the day. Now, what if the landowner decided to not pay you? What if he was corrupt? Then your children might go to, hung- might go to bed hungry that night. James will address a very scenario like that in chapter 5. And so James is setting up a scenario here which all in his audience would have identified with a person in need coming to your door and knocking on your door, going to the house of somebody who professes to be a Christian and they're probably thinking that's somebody's house I can go to, they'll help me because they say with their lips they love Jesus and they knock on their door and the person comes to the door and look at what they say and look at what they do. They do nothing But they say, go in peace. Now we can assume that the person having their door knocked on means well. They might have had good intentions, but nonetheless, it didn't do any good whatsoever to the person in need. It was just words. And you know, folks, oftentimes we're no different, are we? Sometimes we'll say things to relieve a guilty conscience, but we don't really do anything. We might have nice sounding words, but we don't do anything to meet a need. What good does that really do? We might think that our kind and well-intentioned words get us off the hook, but they don't. Here's somebody that apparently everybody knows. James is setting up a scenario. It's it's legitimate needs. Maybe today we know somebody. Legitimate needs. And we might say to them, let me know if I can do anything. And we walk away thinking, you know, I I was sympathetic. I was kind. I was empathetic. I was compassionate. But again, it's no good whatsoever to the person in need. But James takes it up a step further. He highlights the fact that that kind of faith, not only is it not any good to the person in need, but it's not even any good to the person offering the empty words. Because before the judgment seat of Christ one day, those well-intentioned words will get us nowhere. James is saying this is not authentic Christianity. This is imitation Christianity. A Christianity that is words only, however well-intentioned, is imitation Christianity. You know, we have all kinds of government assistance today for which we can be grateful. And shame on those who try to scam the system. But you know, all those programs do not mean that the church can now just sit back and do absolutely nothing. We can't pawn off people on the government. In fact, by helping somebody, we might even be able to lead them to faith in Christ. That's the goal in the end. 
And let me, let me add that James is not talking about even going out and looking for needs necessarily. He's talking about somebody who intentionally comes to your door needing something. It's legitimate and you say nice words but do nothing. You know, it's easy in our world to become jaded, isn't it? There's so many scams out there and so many scammers. And I'll have to admit to you, I never give money to those young, healthy-looking guys at red lights with cardboard signs. Because for all I know, I hand them cash. They're going to go out and buy meth or drugs or alcohol and sell them to somebody else or take them themselves, get high and go home and beat their kids. Just handing cash out a window. There's no accountability in that. So I'm not saying we should do that. But this doesn't mean that there are legitimate needs out there and legitimate ways of helping. Do any of those get presented to you ever? And what do you do? And what do I do? You know, this loving my neighbor uh, campaign that Pastor Seeger has talked about is a wonderful way to practice some of this. Get to know our neighbors because, hey, your neighbor's right around you. You might learn that they have some legitimate needs that you can help them with and end up leading them to faith in Christ. Still another statement I want you to see. Faith without fruit is deceived. Look at verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Here's the person that says, oh James, you know, come on, get out of here. You have your gift, I have my gift. You know, we're all different, James. You be a faith type Christian, I'll be a works type Christian. Or I'll be a faith type Christian, you be a works type Christian. You know, the proposed scenario could really be flipped either way. But what James wants you and me to understand is that when it comes to faith, you can't have your version of it and me have my version. Regardless of what our gift is, regardless of what our strengths and weaknesses are, faith without fruit is futile and it's deceived. James says, go ahead, put your faith without works on display. We'll see how futile it is. You've never done anything to further the kingdom of God with that type faith. And then we'll lay my faith alongside of yours. And I'll show you how my faith has changed my life and what has come out of it. And you know what's interesting here? Is how James reverses the picture. You would expect the objector to say, you have works, I have faith. After all, that's the way James has been setting up his entire argument. But James has the objector say, I have works, you have faith. But the point is made all the more powerfully. It doesn't matter what you claim. Whether it's faith without works or works without faith, if you separate the two, you are deceived. The only legitimate faith in the sight of God is a faith that works. 
To show you how deeply the the deception can run sometimes though, James in verse 19 says you believe that God is one. And what he's doing here is he's quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, the Shema. The Jews would recite the Shema all the time. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. They would constantly recite that. And, And so James is quoting from that. And he's showing, you know, that we can recite something and yet it can become meaningless. Does this mean there's something wrong with reciting things? Absolutely not, because Christianity is a confessional faith. Churches recite the Lord's Prayer. They recite creeds all well and good. There's nothing wrong with recitation. But he's saying if that's all your faith is, if you're going to a synagogue and reciting the Shema and leaving and it hasn't changed you one bit, you're deceived, my friend. He says the demons also believe. And they tremble. They shudder. Have you ever thought about the fact that there are no demons who are atheists? Think about that. Every encounter that Jesus had with demons, they knew who he was. I think of the garrison demoniac. What have we to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high? We implore you by God, do not torment us. Demons can be pretty good theologians. But if all you have to back up your Christianity is the fact that one day, many years ago, you made a profession of faith, but that profession of faith didn't change anything in your life, then you are deceived, my friend. You have nothing more going on in your Christianity than what the demons of hell could likewise say. And This is not a slam on making a profession of faith. And coming forward, it's important to do that. It's important to take a public stand. But what James is pointing out, if that's all your faith amounts to, and there's nothing in your life that would back up that profession of faith, then you need to do a gut check. And you need to honestly evaluate if your faith is real or not. And then a last point he makes here, faith without fruit does not redeem. He says in verse 26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. He says it's it's not a life changing, uh, a living thing. It offers a person nothing. It's not able to save. It's like James is saying to his audience, Wake up folks, can you not see what I'm talking about? Now let's look at the positive side of what James is pointing out here. The second main point here, the power and persuasiveness of a faith that works. Pick up reading with me in verse 21. 
James says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works and offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works and by works faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by different route? From what's been said about the suspicion of a faith without fruit, we could say just the opposite about the strength of a faith that is joined by good works. And James has two main things here to say about that. First of all, that faith that works is obedient. And he gives the example here of Abraham. Abraham was the hero of all Jews. Jews looked to him as their spiritual father. And so James mentions two events in the life of Abraham. He mentions one event from Genesis 15. And what a powerful event that was. Because in Genesis 15... God made promises to Abraham and the scripture says there that Abraham believed God and it was credited unto him as righteousness. And the watershed event in Abraham's life that tested his faith was when he offered Isaac his son as a sacrifice in Genesis 22. Those are the two scenarios that James is addressing here. And I want you to recognize something. James, the way he reverses this account too. Because in verse 21, the first thing he talks about is Genesis 22. Not Genesis 15, but Genesis 22. And then in verse 23, he records what happened in Genesis 15. And the whole point is to show how saving faith will result in works of righteousness. Abraham was declared righteous by God in Genesis 15. And then what happened in Genesis 22, offering Isaac proved that Abraham's faith in Genesis 15 was the real thing. Abraham was not declared righteous because of his bloodline. He was not declared righteous because of some intellectual agreement about the existence of God or because of some just empty use of words Abraham expressed faith in Genesis 15 and then he showed in Genesis 22 that what he said he believed that God declared him righteous back in Genesis 15 and what he did offering his son he showed that he was obeying God And when he had declared himself to believe God, he was willing to lay everything on the line for the sake of what he said he believed. 
Don't think for a minute that Abraham was perfect. You read the Genesis account and he lied about Sarah being his sister to save his skin. And, and then they tried to take matters into their own hands with him having a child by Hagar and not waiting on God. So don't dare think that here was a biblical saint who's being held up as perfect. But what is being shown is you look at the course, the overarching course of Abraham's life. He was a true man of God. He, he believed God and he demonstrated by his life that he had genuine faith. I want you to see secondly about this. Faith that works is sacrificial. Look at verse 25. You couldn't have found a bigger contrast to Abraham than Rahab. Rahab was a Gentile while Abraham was a Jew. Well, he was from Ur of the Chaldeans, but God, of course... Uh, Made him the father of the Jewish nation beginning there in Genesis 12 and following. But Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham was called in scripture the friend of God. Rahab was a prostitute. Couldn't have come up with a bigger contrast. And yet when the spies came into the land to, to, to spy out when they crossed the Jordan and were going into the promised land, the first city they came upon to attack, of course, was Jericho. And a couple of spies went in there and, and Rahab confessed to these spies, the God of Israel. She had come to believe that their God was the only true God. And she was willing to hide those spies from her own people, even though had she been discovered doing this, it would have cost her her very life. Now folks, let's bring this down to today, just to kind of put it into 2021. What if you lived in some country where Christians are being tortured and killed? Somewhere like Afghanistan, for instance. And a Christian comes to your doorstep seeking shelter. And if you put them up and give them shelter and you're caught, not only are they going to die, but you and your family are going to die too. You see, that's the sacrifice that Rahab was willing to make because she had come to believe in the God of Israel. And we can assume with her faith in the God of Israel, there was also life change. Rahab, just like Abraham, an example of demonstrating your faith. The faith you say with your lips, you demonstrate that faith even to your own hurt if it came to that. That's sacrifice. Folks, this is what biblical faith is all about. All through the Bible, true saving faith means accepting the cost of discipleship and bending our lives to God's demands because we're a new creation in Christ. He's changed us. He's transformed us. And our lives can't help but show that. 
The problem with too many today where they have faith on their own terms. I'll do Christianity my way. I'll do this, but not that. I'll go this far, but no further. I want Christianity on my terms. And I'll profess that kind of faith. Then one day we can assume before the throne of God, they're going to hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. True faith doesn't just move our lips. True faith moves our feet and our hands in the direction of obedience and sacrifice. You've heard me say before in the past, if you were ever accused in a court of law of being a Christian, would there be any evidence to convict you? That's what I want you to think about. Bow your heads with me, please. Is your Christian profession backed up by a life of bearing fruit? Or is it all just words? We come to church. We say all the right words at all of the right time. We warm a pew, then we walk out of these doors, and we just go back to our life the way we want to live it. And that's been the course of your life. I'm not talking about temporary stumbles here. I, I'm saying the overall course of your life. Is it just words? Saying the great confessions and declarations of the Christian faith, but it not being seen carried out in your life if that's you I trust that this morning you would come to this altar or come and have prayer with somebody and say God change me I've had imitation Christianity I want the real thing God convert my heart change my life make me a new creation in Christ I want you to understand that while it's important for the world to hear about our faith, it's also important for the world to see our faith, to see it in action. Christians pray that every aspect of your life every day would bear testimony to the Jesus that you claim to know. And I certainly pray that my life would be the same. Lord, as we're yielded and still before you, God, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, help us to understand what James is saying here and how dangerous it is to just be comfortable thinking I've got all of the right words without examining our life. Lord, our lives are laid bare before you. You know our lives. You know our heart. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts now. Those who need to be drawn to genuine faith in Christ, God, do that through the power of your Spirit. And Lord, for believers who are able to look at their course of, of their lives and, and see that change, Lord, strengthen that 
in them. That every day their lives would continue to bear fruit and more fruit and much fruit. As Jesus said in John 15 when he presented it in that crescendo pattern. That our lives would just continue to bear more and more fruit. Lord, I pray that when the world looks at us as members of this church, that they would say, now that's a church of authentic believers. They love Jesus, and I know by the way they live their lives, they love Jesus. God, may that be true of us. I pray in Christ's name.